This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Real Blend number 35, or if you've been paying attention to the podcast at all, volume one and volume two of Real Blend number 35. Still one <laughs> podcast. <laughs> But two volumes. I am Sean O'Connell. I'm wow. the managing editor here wow. at Cinema Blend. This is the earliest I've wanted to quit in a podcast so far. <laughs> We're four seconds in, and I want to quit already. And Sean, would, it, yes, it's gotten to a point. It's gotten to a point though <laughs> now with the, with the, with our Kill Bill discussion that I know that you know that Jake and I are right, and that you're just you're just you're just trucking along with your opinion only because you just can't admit that you're wrong. That's what's I'm, happening here. We will get to that conversation a little bit later in the show. We like to call that, as Jake says, a tease, ladies and gentlemen. That is a tease for some Kill Bill <laughs> conversation children, coming your write way. Write that down. I am Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blended. If you guys are watching on our Facebook Live feed, hello. Uh, be sure to put some comments or some questions into the thread, and Gabe will pass them over to us via chat. As you know, since we've been doing 35 of these, I am joined each and every week by my amazing friends, starting with Jake Hamilton. Jake! is with Fox 32 in Chicago. Jake, say hello. Hello, my friend. How are you? It's good to see your lovely face. Thank you. My face is in a different location, and I'll explain why in a second. But first, we have to introduce Kevin McCarthy, who is with Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, how are you, sir? Hey, yeah, I was just thinking about the ending to that one film where it's all one complete movie where the right. whole Superman dialogue takes yeah. place. I was just thinking about the ending to that one film that I really liked. Right. The whole, <laughs> right. The whole, the whole movie. Yeah, that, yeah. You know what I mean? That one film that has uh, that, that one credits, film. opening credits in the middle of it, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> people might wonder uh, if you're watching on Facebook on a regular basis why my background looks different and I'm not in my office at home with all the DVDs. And I can only say this much. I'm on a top secret mission. Um, I, I want to say. I know what it is. So I know what I it know. is. You both. I, they both know I, what it is. And I, I want to make my joke, but my joke is so obvious. <laughs> it's so obvious. It's really it also not good. Yeah, don't make it's your very joke. Very funny. His actually. joke is funny. I give him credit for this. So <laughs> instead of getting me in trouble, um, let's defer really fast and talk about where Jake is going in a couple of days. Jake, you have a pretty exciting trip going. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And I want you to be able to talk about it because it's it's a junket scenario, which we do on the regular, but you get to go to a really cool place to do the junket. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Nun, the Conjuring 2 spinoff, comes out in a few weeks. So rather than just uh, do the interviews in a you know normal Los Angeles or New York hotel room, which we do 98% of the time, I'm actually going to be flying to Mexico City, where they're going to uh, put us on a bus, and we're going to drive about an hour outside of the city to an old, former, supposedly haunted uh, nun convent. That's awesome. And that's where we're going to be singing it. That's where we're going to be doing the interviews. And uh, should be a lot of fun. I I love the Conjuring movies. Um, I, I I actually like was a, even a big defender of the Annabelle prequel that came out uh, last year. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. David and, Sandberg, uh, he's going to do Shazam yeah. too. Actually, yeah. he's a talented director. Yeah. So awesome. uh, I, I'm excited. I hope the movie's good. Um. So uh, and and I think adding sort of I think we're going to be screening it. You know, in the middle of this sort of very atmospheric place. So hopefully that adds to the um uh you know the the appeal of it. Colin yeah, Hardy the, is the director. Sorry, Kevin. Um, he uh, no, uh, came by our shooting suite at at um, Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, and told this amazing story, which I will 
I will truncate um, really fast. But basically, he they shot in a castle in Romania, and they were in a long hallway in the basement of a castle, and they were trying to get one long shot where the camera had to turn and land on the face of one of the actresses. So he, there were all these little rooms off of the hallway when he went into one of the rooms to, to where his setup was, where he would have a monitor and he could sort of watch what the camera was doing. And he said he walked into the room and he saw two guys in the corner who he assumed were like grips or sound guys. And he sort of nodded to them and then he sat in his seat and then he watched the shooting for the day. And he said it was a really complicated shot, so it took a long time for them to get the shot, like multiple tries. And when they finally got it, he was so excited and he turned around to the guys to acknowledge like, hey, we finally got it and nobody was there. And there was, there's no way to get out of the room. Like the only way out is the door in front of him. So he doesn't know who the two guys were who were watching. uh, Oh, do you mind if I ask him about that at the jump? Yeah, no, please. That'd be fantastic. That'd be great. You can get the story on, on Cinema Blind. So so he still has no idea who they were? No, has no idea. He thinks that they were spirits in the Romanian castle. That's sick. That were watching over him as he shot uh, the horror film, The Nun. So I'm excited. So, Jake, you can put stuff on social, I would assume, right? Pictures. Are from you the- sure yeah, oh, he, yeah. Didn't, yeah. he didn't just conjure up that story? Oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, God. Come on, you guys, you guys get it? I, how, how, I don't understand how people listen to us sometimes. You guys, really you guys get, do you get, wait, do you, get, do you get the joke? It's conjuring. <laughs> people do listen to us. I love I that Kevin's assumption is that if we're not laughing, it's because right. we don't get the joke. <laughs> Because he conjured up the story. Conjured up a story. Conjuring. Yes. Yeah. Um, on social media, every once in a Say while, that to him, Jake. our readers <laughs> um, will send us questions. And there's a story that they wanted us to discuss, which is a rumor that's been going around for a while now, which is if Warner Brothers eventually does the uh, Green Lantern core, that they need an actor to play Hal Jordan. And the the name that keeps getting attached to a veteran uh, Green Lantern member is uh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, who is our best friend. If you've been listening to earlier episodes of the podcast, you know that Tom Cruise is actually our best friend. So he um, stays in my basement. Yeah, you would think that we would support this decision. I wholeheartedly support this decision. I think he'd be a tremendous selection for Hal Jordan. Do you guys think that Tom Cruise has gone past the point of having to do superhero movies, or uh, like, it, like he doesn't need superhero movies? So why would he do them? Well, as, long not, as, the, yeah. as long as the super suit isn't animated, that's the only thing that oh, you know, that that, that needs to not happen. Right. That, I always thought that was great when that Ryan Reynolds made that joke in uh, in Deadpool, Deadpool. when he was Deadpool. Like, he's being wheeled into like the, the mutant territory by Ed Screen. He's like, "No, wait, the super suit animated." I mean, it was so. It, it, that's another <laughs> reason why I had a problem with the Aquaman trailers because like some of the Amber Heard specifically kind of reminded me her suit of Green Lantern, but. Yeah, I I don't I don't think that would be a good move for Tom Cruise. I I don't see why we need another Green Lantern film, right? Unless that this is I don't know. There's so DC has yet to have a through line that makes sense in regards because Avenger uh, uh, Marvel's so scoped out, like everything feels so like it makes sense. We're servicing these stories and these stories. It truly is amazing what Feige did with that, but. Like with the Green Lantern film, I don't, I can't see in my mind where that would fit into what I need to do with DC and continuing that that storyline. I mean, Jake, I'm sorry, I mean to cut you off. But what were you saying? No, I, it, well, I'm coming at it from a different angle in the sense that, like, 
it's not that I think Tom Cruise couldn't pull it off because obviously I feel like after seeing Fallout, there's not much. I, I mean, the fact that we're genuinely having a conversation about whether or not he's going to go to space for the next Mission Impossible <laughs> doesn't really limit much that, that he can do. I just kind of want to see him like there was a period in the 90s where he was giving us a great mix of like yeah. truly wonderful dramatic work and then also some big blockbusters. And I feel like these days all we're getting is Tom Cruise pulling off the blockbusters. And I'd love to see him return to movies like a Jerry Maguire or a Magnolia or even, a, you know, a Born on the Fourth of July. I I miss that Tom Cruise. I'd like to see that Tom Cruise again. And well, I feel like Green Lantern is such a step in the opposite direction of that. So it's not that I don't want him to be Green Lantern. It's that I don't want him to make those kinds of movies. But I also feel like Tom Cruise... We're we're in a day and age now where the movie star no longer sells the movie unless you're a certain actor. Like I think DiCaprio, people go out and see DiCaprio. People go out and see Denzel. People yeah. go out like when people buy a ticket to Denzel's movie, they want, they say I want a ticket to the new Denzel movie. I I, I, sure. I used to work in a box office uh, and, at AMC, and I remember people would walk up. And this was years ago. They would say I'll, I'll have two tickets to the new, the new Denzel movie. I mean, like yeah. when your when your name is that synonymous with viewers, um, people will go out and pay for it. Tom, Tom Cruise. And correct me if I'm wrong, hasn't opened a film that hasn't been Mission Impossible that's done extremely well in a long time. Am, am I wrong while. on that? No, it's been like, a while. Because I mean, even American like American Made, Made did, well. did okay. Like, like Edge of Tomorrow was more of like after it hit Blu-ray, I feel like it really, it was one of those like everyone was like, oh man, I wish I'd gone back to see that. I feel like the reception of that has been really strong, but it wasn't a big box office wow. uh, behemoth so by any stretch of the imagination. Going off what Jake's saying though, I completely agree in the sense that I wish we were still living in a time where that star power could sell a movie because I would love because Cruz Cruz is one of the greatest dramatic actors of our time, but now now in a lot of people's minds he's the action guy, he's the Mission Impossible guy. A lot of people bring into the whole idea about the religion aspect to it, but like there, were, I mean that guy has some of the greatest acting acting chops I've ever seen. I mean same with Brad Pitt. They're so famous that it's almost hard to, like, I don't know, do you know what I mean? Like, Brad Pitt is an amazing dramatic actor, but can he open a film anymore? Yeah, but, but I feel like he's not worried about that. He's not taking these big blockbusters. I mean, he's to, he'll, he'll take, you know, uh, you know a move for every, anything from a Tarantino film to a movie that's going to be on Netflix. Like, he's, I mean, do you think Tom Cruise will ever be in a movie that's going to be on Netflix? Yes. No. Yeah, he, oh, you he, think he, so? Tom Cruise is I feel a, like he's so Tom obsessed a, with... The theatrical oh, oh. experience. He's like you in that sense. He's so obsessed with. Yeah. He'll get not, out not of the just, business not just that, but before. box office. Yeah, I, I don't see him making. Now he could be in a movie that could then be sold to Netflix. As a, but I don't think he would make a movie knowing it's only going to go to Netflix. I guess my my point that I'm making, and, and I'm trying to get to it because I keep get, I, I keep getting scattered in my own brain about it. But I think that the mission films are are so great and they do really well because of the name brand Cruz loves doing them. I agree with Jake. I'd love to see Cruz kind of dive, dive back into the more vanilla skies, the Jerry Maguire's, the Magnolia's the born on the 4th of July's. Um, the guy is amazing. He truly is. I just, in my mind, I think he's worried that he can't open a film on his name like anymore that will do extremely well financially. Wow. I really do. I think I think we're past that. I mean, look at look at this is a great example. This is a completely different type of type of actor. But look at Daniel Radcliffe or Robert Pattinson. People who were in these massive franchises that made tons of money, mm. and then when they go off and do the other movie, what happens? Like right. they don't do well. So it's an interesting thing to see like Beauty and the Beast, for example, yeah. Emma Emma Watson, right? Right? She that movie did well because of the name Beauty and the Beast. Sure. How did the per, how did the person being a wallflower do? 
it didn't make a ton of money, it did right? Okay, it did, it did but nothing okay. special. No, yeah. So I, I, I just feel like we are, we are past the time period, unless you're Denzel or DiCaprio, or maybe even Sandra Bullock, um, that you can tell people to go to a movie based on that actor's name anymore. I'm gonna ruin happen. one movie for you, an upcoming movie that we're gonna talk about later in the show, Beautiful Boy, um, with Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet, um, which looks like an amazing film. And somebody saw the trailer and they said, Steve Carell looks like he's gonna be great. But how amazing would Tom Cruise be as the father of this kid? Ooh, and I was just yeah. like, show me that. Yeah. Show me that See, movie that's the thing. Now. He, now. He needs to take a movie and not worry oh. about what the... And I'm not saying... I By no means do I understand how Tom Cruise's psyche works. But he needs right. to... In my mind, he needs to take a movie and not worry about what the box office is going to be. I think that was American Made, though. And then American Made yeah, was like Yeah, but I a, still think they kind of wanted that to be bigger than it was. There are certain movies that you don't have to... Wor- like something like Beautiful Boy... No one is talking about what the box office for that is going to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is interesting. I, I I think, yeah, when was the last time Tom Cruise did like a low budget, like indie movie? Has, right. has it, I mean, it's been a long, I mean, but look at Brad Pitt though, when he did Jesse James, that's, that's arguably one of my favorite movies he ever made, but nobody saw it. Right. So it's an interesting Yeah, but I, 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 from what I understand, he is so proud of that movie that I guarantee you he doesn't care if it made $5 or $500 million. I don't think he cares. Anyway, well, moving here's, on. Here's a movie that um, we all thought was going to do well, and we, we loved the reason of why it was going to do well, and then it did better than we anticipated, and then even reached audiences in ways that, that I don't even think that we really anticipated, and that's Crazy Rich Asians. And it's not just the fact that it made $34 million at the box office, and Kevin was the first one to point out we had the story on Cinema Blend. I didn't even realize this, that this was literally going to Netflix and that John yep. Chu stood up and was like, no, 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 this belongs in the theater. Like, people need to be able to see this. And when we saw tweets from J- James Wan, you know, as an example, and and countless actors who talked about Chris, the fact that Chris Pratt. Like, yeah, he like, look at this representation yeah. of, you know, in an amazing story, in a really fun story, in a really well-told romantic comedy um, do you guys see this sort of being turning the corner or a one-off that just happened to be put together really well? And, you know, I think that they'll celebrate the fact that like, is this going to be the start of a franchise? Cause there are other books in this series. Where do you think they go from, from here with crazy rich Asians? The beauty of crazy rich Asians is that it's not just a monumental film. It's actually a good movie. Yeah. Um, so it, it wasn't it wasn't just, hey, go see this because of what this stands for and this is an all American, all Asian American led cast in twenty five years, first time in Hollywood. The movie actually was really good on top of it, which was which I think is what kind of made the movie box office be do so well. Not only did people go out, but the the reactions to it were so great that the social media aspect to it, it all fueled this, we need to get out and see this movie. Because it rings hollow when it's a bad movie. Like if you're just praising it for the cast and and if we all go see it and we're like, oh, but it's not good, then then any of that praise sort of is is half-hearted because you want to really support a movie that also deserves your attention because it's really good. I mean, you guys know me uh, in regards to the to Netflix and, and and movies going to theaters first. And when I read that story in the Hollywood Reporter, where John Chu talked about the idea of turning down the Netflix deal, um, I, I wanted to ask him about it when I interviewed him. And I was just because uh, I mean, here's the thing: the easy route to go would be to take the multi million dollar deal from Netflix, put it out there, don't have any box office pressure. But then you don't get that statement. Look at the news stories today. Look at the cycle all over Twitter and social media. Tremendous. Number one movie in America. I mean, this thing 
Like, the fact that people... Listen, the movie theater experience will always be the best because you're in a movie theater with strangers, all experiencing the exact same thing, emotionally going through the exact same thing, whether or not you're interpreting it differently, that, that that's you personally. But that's that's the beauty of what that decision was. And, like, money-wise, I mean, you got to give Warner Brothers and John Chu and the producers major credit for risking this i mean this is a 30 million dollar film it's i mean it's not a, it's not a cheap movie it's not an expensive movie a 30 million dollar price tag is still a lot of money um and we're not talking about 250 million dollar budgets like a superhero movie but still it's a lot of money um and that's probably just production i have no idea how much pna like the you know the uh, advertising stuff cost but it, it is truly astounding uh that this movie was great at the same time so that they, that's all that needs to happen is if you if you're making a film like this that's monumental also make sure you put care into the script the performances, the story. I mean, you want to make, make the movie great because you want this to be a recurring thing. That's all. Right. Let's talk about Michelle Yeoh. How great was Michelle Yeoh? Oh, oh she Jake always I, is. Yeah. She's Jake, incredible. You had something to say. She's incredible. I, I don't know. I'm just gonna be. I'm gonna be cynical, and uh, I. Oh I, no. I just. I don't. Think, I don't know if it's. Here's. Here's my thing. <laughs> is that a, a movie like this comes out? And it is it, it does well, and we feel like it's gonna it's it's gonna it's, it's this chapter is this new chapter in Hollywood's opening, and then I feel like the world moves on and everyone just forgets about it, and then and then when it's time where where another group of of Asian Americans or another group of of Asians uh, decide okay hey we want to make a movie because because look at Crazy Rich Asians it just did so well Hollywood's gonna go. Eh, I don't really know. I feel like I feel like uh, you know, not not to every group is different. Every group faces its own battles, but I feel like women face this all the time. Every time a, a, a female-led movie or female-directed or written movie comes out and does well, I feel like we we grab Hollywood and we go, "Look, women want to go to the movies. Make more yeah. movies for women." And they go, "Yeah, yeah. It did well. This is fantastic. Book Club did well, and and and, uh, and Wonder Woman did well. Well done." And then a woman goes to a board meeting at Warner Brothers, and then and the execs go. Eh, I don't really know. I feel like it's just this constant, like, and, and and we keep champing. We try to point it. Hey, look at examples of minorities making movies for minorities. And 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 it, and, and it shows that there are other audiences other than teenage white boys out there that go to the movies, but they're the ones that constantly have to prove themselves. And and well, I, I, I want to believe that Crazy Rich Asians and something like Black Panther is going to make a difference, but I just don't because I don't believe Hollywood takes... It listens uh, to itself. Here's what progress on that front can be, though. Like one of these movies every year. It doesn't have to be, you know, six of them in a row, you know, in a short amount of time. But just show that you're willing to tell these stories right. when when there's a good story to tell. Because the flip side of that is doing, you know, a, an all Asian or American Asian cast right. for a crap script because you just want to say we got to get one of these. But, in yeah, theaters. but but on the on the flip side of that, shouldn't a group of people be able to have just a generic or borderline bad movie. I mean, I mean that in the sense that like groups of white people put out bad movies all the time and no one thinks about it. Like a, 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 a like an all black cast, an all black director, all, all black, you know, writer, director, or, or all Asian sure. or whatever the case may be should be able to put out a movie and have it potentially even be bad and have it not set them back 25 years. I, they should be able, they, they are, they ought to be able to have a couple of misfires. Cause God knows large groups of white people have misfires all the time. So I sure. feel like that's a lot of pressure to say, yeah, when it comes out, it's also gotta be awesome. And it's also got to succeed at the box office. Sure. Cause we don't put those kind of pressures on movies that are made by all white people. Yeah. No, sure. the point, the point I was making about that, I wasn't saying that every movie has to be great when it's put out by, um, by in, in this type of scenario. My point was, Crazy Rich Asians did really well because it was also great at the same time. Oh, agreed. Time. Yeah, I so, agree. 
the point that I'm making, and I think this year is a, is, is a lot different. The scenario you're referring to, Jake, I actually agree with you. I think they're, they're, the cynical aspect of that concept of... And I don't, I don't mean to be like a negative person no, no, no. and be down no, on this. Right. I'm just no, feeling, I feel like I'm realistic. trying to be realistic about what's no, going to happen yeah. in six months. You're being realistic in the sense of that that we've had this happen before. We've had a film come out that meant a lot to a certain group of people. And, and it, it was a big deal at the time. And then all of a sudden it was not forgotten, but it was just kind of like, we just went back to the way things are. Mm-hmm. I do think this year, though, we are in a much different uh, setting right now. We're in a much different climate right now. We are, films are, movies are much different nowadays. I think there's a lot of things happening right now politically in our climate that is affecting the way people go to the cinema and the movies that we're watching. I think with Black Panther specifically and Crazy Rich Asians, which were both very very good movies that did mm-hmm. very very well at the box office we are i think that signal that that message is finally getting out there that diversity representation sells that people want to go to the movies and see themselves on screen and i think with something like black panther and crazy rich asians with how successful they were we are now in a time where i think these movies will make a difference. I, 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 would I, I hope you're right. I really do. I, I, I would I, love I, to be more optimistic about it. And I, I would love to look back and say, oh, I was wrong on that pad, on that podcast that one time. I get Not where you're coming podcast, from. But real I, I get where Jake's coming from because I, I understand that we, we've been in such a direction for so long that things haven't changed. Um, but I think this year, I don't know about you guys, I, I feel something different. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians was a, it, it just feels special and I think Black Panther feels special. And I think that Hollywood is looking at these movies right now and going, oh my God, what have we been doing? Diversity is something that we need to start doing more often with every movie that we're making. So I think that this is going to be a big, big deal that those two movies did the well as do well you as know, Do you know what wasn't a big deal? <laughs> Kevin Spacey's new movie. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Spacey had a movie in Ironically theaters. called The Billionaire Boys Club. <laughs> And you may not know, because Jake, how much money did this movie make at the box office? One hundred twenty-six dollars. <laughs> it's first day. That's the first day. Okay. All right. Oh, so it might have picked up. Maybe it did like it two million did. the it, next I, day. I think it. I think it did two eighty-seven <laughs> by Saturday. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Actually, did you see? Did you see the article? And, and I, I want to give proper credit to Hollywood Reporter for this. So it was one twenty-six on Friday, and then I can't remember the exact number for Saturday, but the Friday and Saturday combined was two hundred eighty-seven dollars. <laughs> I believe it was in eight or ten theaters in the country. Right. They broke it and, down. And by, not even like big markets, right? No. They broke it down by ticket price. Hollywood Reporter said that the average ticket price right now is about $9.27 if you average out the whole country. They said that roughly six people went to each theater. That's I, I would love now, to talk with someone too that paid to go see it. To get, right. to get if, some, if you're listening right now and you paid to go see... Boy, boy, billionaires, billionaire, billionaire boy, boys yeah. club. Yeah. Uh, yes, please let us but, know on social media and and be honest. To give some perspective, though, um, the movie was released on VOD in July on video on demand. Not, I'm not saying that that's why the movie did bad. The movie did bad clearly because of the um, the allegations towards Kevin Spacey. But that, I mean, that's what my assumption would be. That that I feel bad because there are yeah, a lot of people that worked I on that agree. movie that. I agree. And I feel even sort of bad making fun of fun of it, and it's it's easy, and, and and Kevin Spacey obviously is an easy target right now. But there are a lot of people that that worked really hard on on that movie, and I say that in the sense that whether it's a good or a bad movie, people worked people worked really hard on movies, of course. And I feel like they're being punished and laughed at and and made fun of 
because of the actions of one person. So I, I do feel bad that the other actors in the film, the crew, the writer, the director, they, they had nothing to do with what Kevin Spacey was doing in his free time. Yeah. And yet their, their film will now be, you know, a, a bad spot on their resume right. because it got wrapped up, unfortunately, in the, in the post uh, 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 hoopla of everything, you know, revolving around Spacey. I was saying that this morning when I did the story, because, and again, I also felt bad about, like, because, like, the, the news stories this morning for that were, you know, it, it was almost as if people were, were, um... Reveling. They, they were, right, right. It was almost like, like, they, like they were, the stories were almost like, oh, my God, look at this. This is, this is crazy or whatever. Almost, but to me, it, it is an interesting thing. I remember George Clooney saying this around the Harvey Weinstein uh, storyline about, you know, I, I, I remember, so I asked Clooney about that, and I said, does, does it affect the way does it does it affect the way you feel about the movies you made that have the Weinstein name on them now? And he said, you have to remember that there are so many people involved in these films: writers, directors, actors, producers, people on set, grips, ads, cinematographers. Um, that I'm not going to allow one person to ruin my uh, ruin an experience that a lot of people worked on. So I read a statement from the from the studio who put out that movie, Billionaires Boys Club, kind of exactly what Jake just said. You know, we put why did you put the movie out, right? We put it out because only one person messed up badly, yes, yeah. but but everybody else in that cast dedicated their time, whatever it was, weeks, months, whatever it was, editing, writing, directing, shooting, yeah, totally. and we're going to penalize a film because a guy uh, has these allegations, which are horrible, yes, but I completely agree with Jake on that. I, I don't think people should be reveling in yeah. excitement. There was a great Tom bad. Hanks quote uh, in the middle of the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Someone asked him, sort of similar to what you asked George Clooney, Kevin, about you know skipping movies that have Harvey's name stamped on yeah. it. And he said something along the lines of, I'm not quoting directly, but if you skip a movie because one person involved is an asshole, you're not going to ever see a movie again. Right. <laughs> and that's exactly. when you think When you think <laughs> about all the people that are involved, if you try to be you know, the better man and say, well, that one person right there, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 you know, the, the boom mic guy, you know, he was a jerk, then right. you're never going to see a movie. And that's unfortunately a lot of, that's not just movies. That's everything in life. That's everything you watch, every yeah. TV show you that's watch. Every, every restaurant you go to, every cab yeah. you've ever gotten in. Like, it's just like, that's, that's, there are a lot of uh, jerks. I also, but I mean, more importantly too, I mean, whether this movie was ignored or for the reasons why it was ignored, I didn't see a single poster or trailer or no. commercial or mention. Well, was on purpose. I, didn't even, I didn't know that this movie w was a thing until the headline was it bombed. Like who? And, and we all work in this industry where we cover new movies on a regular basis. I had no clue this was even a thing. No clue. It, it is fascinating, though, if you think about the way they released it. Like, you're you're 100% right. If you're going to release the movie and you're going to have a statement where you say, we're putting this movie out because a lot of people worked on it, why are you burying it the way you are? Right. Um, and I, and, I, and I, get, I get it. I get you're not going to put out ads for a Kevin Spacey movie. I totally understand that. Um, but, like, you basically buried it in wherever it was located, in, in, in 10 theaters in the entire country, whatever it was. And... I don't know, maybe maybe they thought the bad stories about the box office would give them press, which it did. Yeah. So now people are talking about yeah. this movie. I, I did right. a story about that movie on the air this morning. I will bet you that people will seek it out now because yeah. of that story, either well, whether it be probably, VOD or home video. They're probably also contractually obligated to put it out. I'm sure once these actors sign on, the distributor says, well, we have to put it into X amount of theaters to, to meet a need. So. And, 
one more point though, real quick, uh, in, in regards to the Crazy Rich Asians and Black Panther discussion we were having uh, a couple minutes ago. Um, in, in regards to Jake's point about the idea that like it doesn't have to be the greatest movie ever, but it still should be an important thing, and, and there should be there should be able to be misses. I think this year is different because these movies were great, and I think that because Panther and Asians were were, were so great, I think that that's why we are going. This is going to be a big change. I think that's why it's going to yeah. work. And then and then and then that. yes, and then once representation and diversity becomes a, a a more common thing in movies, then yes, the the misses will happen. The, you know, box offices won't do well for certain films, whatever it is. But I think the key was that these movies were great, and that's the be- why there's a lot of attention on them. I totally agree. Um, the beautiful thing about this podcast is that we might be in the middle of one conversation and uh, trigger a second conversation that we didn't even know was coming, and this happened last week. When in a celebration of the beautiful openings of Quentin Tarantino, be it Inglorious Bastards or Pulp is this Fiction, the most intense like argument or debate or most intense division that we've had? Possibly, Ant Man. Ant Man might be another one. Oh no, that wasn't a disagreement. You guys are just wrong. Ant Man's <laughs> Ant Man's a passionate disagreement. This was a, 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 a conversation. That I don't even. I don't even really even want to to rip open the wound and, and dive <laughs> back into. Our, but I, what I want to point out, so basically the, the battle line is whether Kill Bill is one movie or two. And Jake and Kevin fall very strongly on the uh, it's one movie. As does Quentin Tarantino. I fall That's more firmly on the second one. And what, what I want to point out is that in throwing this out to the masses, I heard arguments from all sides that were thoroughly convincing to both sides, basically. And and what you guys are saying, Tarantino always intended it to be one movie. It was split by Harvey. Um, but then there were people who were like, hey, if I had to buy two tickets to go see two parts, it's two movies, right? Like it's, so I don't think there's anything. Yeah, but like, the, I don't oh. buy tickets to movies. Does that mean it's not a movie at all? Like we see them, we see them for free and early. Uh, no, 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 that's not. <laughs> I'm just not. saying. Because even when you brought up Grindhouse and you were like, well, Grindhouse, like Death Proof shouldn't count because it's part. But like one of those is a Robert Rodriguez movie and the other one is a Tarantino movie. That's there's a, a part story. of, there's a, there's a part of, uh, isn't there a part of Sin City that's also Tarantino? Like does that mean Tarantino. it's, does, I mean, does that mean it's two different movies? Qu- Quentin directed these. Well, don't do this, dude. Uh, don't go down this rabbit the hole. Argument. It's not the Quentin argument. Quentin did the scene in the car with Del Toro with the gun in his head. But the point that, that I want to point out is that on one of our Twitter polls, 62% of the people who voted said that it's two movies. And then I wrote a story on on Cinema Blend, and 64% of the people who voted on Cinema Blend said that it's one movie. So <laughs> producer Gabe says there's so, a tie. So here we stand. And I think basically, yeah, it's a draw. It's a draw. How like, many we're never going to voted on the other. Cinema Blend site? Uh, it doesn't give you a count. Okay. It doesn't say. I was just that's curious. exactly what someone that's losing would say. But thirty something people on the Twitter poll said it's one movie. It's but one here's movie. the thing: I don't or even know movies, why this movies. is this is a debate because when Quentin Tarantino released The Hateful Eight, right, weren't all the ads the well, eighth the film eighth by Quentin And Quentin truthfully, so what, that, that to that me is the right most there. convincing argument for your side. There's no argument. That's what he. That's what it says. The, but, it's his eighth movie. But that's so how is it? But that's. That's basically retro correcting <laughs> the past because like, again, I pointed out to you, I sent you an Amazon link that I can buy volume two. Like yes, if, if I can buy volume two in its own disc and pop it in and, and treat it as a movie, then they're two movies. Gabe, I know, I know, I don't know if your audio picks up when you speak, does it or does it not? 
It's literally, speak. Gabe, it you need not. to break right, so, the tie. So, Gabe, real quick. It's no tie. Time. It's three. It's two to one. Well, no, but, but if Gabe says yet uh or are we a half are we a half let's do this let's do this gabe will hold up one finger or two fingers for one movie or two movies this is the best and this will be the answer this will be the answer okay i i I will accept even though i will too okay i'll accept gabe what we have the majority kevin why are you giving up the majority we're two people Jake, Gabe. my beliefs, my beliefs don't change. The, the, right. the movie is Nor the movie is, is one film. I mean, Quentin Tarantino, who wrote and directed the film, considers yes. it one movie, and he right. sh- he shot the movie. By the way, for people who aren't aware, he shot Kill Bill as one film. The whole movie right. was shot and written as one movie. The trailer for the movie, the teaser trailer for the hey, film. Hey, hey, don't you don't you don't give me the rap. I give you the. Oh, hey, did you see that? He said but, one. He said one. Then, he used one finger to give us the rap. Boy, that means Quentin, one movie. One but your movie. Boy, Quentin agreed to do two separate movies and filmed an opening credit sequence for the a, second movie. It, it's a financial decision that was not. It, it's not. It was a forced decision. upon him. It was forced it was upon financial. him. Here, here comes Gabe's. Here comes Gabe's answer. Go ahead, Gabe. Then we'll move on. We're waiting on you. You got a hold of a finger. Come on. You got to do it. Yeah! 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 One, he says. He says it's Fine. one film. And just like that, the conversation's over, and we're moving on. Jake saw Papillion this week. Jake, yes, it is. is it any good? Is it worth seeing? What's what's the story? With uh, it was when it starred Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. Ah, um, that's not this one. I, it's it's that's just a different it, one. It, it is. So there's a remake coming out with Charlie Hunnam um, in the uh, Steve McQueen role and uh, uh, Rami Malek uh, in the Dustin Hoffman role. Okay, it's fine. I mean, their their performances are good. Uh, mm. It's it's well made, but it falls in that remake category of. Why does it exist? It doesn't right. add anything. Uh, I think the original film has aged really well where you can pop it in and it plays just as well now as when it did back when it was released. There's just there's just no reason for it to exist. Um, it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's a little bit more brutal um, than I think the original, than I remember the original film being. I don't remember it being as gory. Um, but I didn't think that was super necessary because the circumstances of the original film were rough enough where it, you know it was it was like midnight express where it's just like a, a prison in that that time in that location was rough on its own. I didn't need to see the blood and the gore to be convinced of how bad it was. It okay. it's fine. It's just one of those like if anything, it made me want to go back and watch the original because because okay. I knew somewhere out there there was a better version of this movie. And when you are when you have that in the back of your head and you're watching a remake it just kind of ruins the remake for you when you know that there's a better version of this movie. Okay. And I mean, part of the thing is that we're in August and we're stretching with movies like Kin and Sir. Yeah. Although I heard, I hear searching is actually really good and I am looking forward to seeing it this week. So we'll be able to talk about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh yeah. We've, uh, yeah. Next uh, Kevin week, and I have seen it. Yeah. We've seen oh, it. I don't, still, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the embargo is on that. I'm, yeah, I'm we'll, gonna, we'll, we'll I'm talk about it next off. week. Let's yeah. talk about it next week. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, we decided we were going to talk about since we're kind of in a lull with August, most anticipated movies for the fall. And specifically because the three of us are going to be going up to the Toronto international film festival, a festival that we've all covered in the past. Um, yes. we are going to plan to do a show from there. Um, a live show, if we can all get our schedules to sync up and get together, I mean, we'll move mountains to sort of make that happen. Um, but I want to talk about movies that we, one movie that, that uh, opening in this fall that we're really, really looking forward to, but it could be something like we're that's all going to have the same one at tip. Well, let me go first. And I'll say that I mentioned it earlier. Mine is beautiful boy. Um, and oh, then we're not going to have the same one. Mine is Jake beautiful and I boy. Have the same one. You guys probably wow. will. Um, okay, so 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 uh, pitch me beautiful boy then. 
Yeah, what um, is Beautiful Boy? It's it's an adaptation of a best-selling memoir of a journalist um, father who watched his teenage son fall deeper and deeper into drug addiction. And basically says, like, we come from a, 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 a nice background. We're a suburban family. We love our kids. Our kids loved us. Um, but I watched this boy who has had the potential to to become this amazing person uh, uh, dabble in drugs and then just slip further and further away. And I can tell you, like having a teenager right now, a fourteen year old, thankfully he's not this he's not at this point. But you can see um, the, uh, the pull to be more independent, and you can see the pull to. Uh, break away from my parents and just sort of go out and do my own thing. And sometimes going out and doing your own thing means falling in with a bad element and and maybe sampling drugs or or drinking too much or and and just a slippery slope. And so it's it's Steve Carell playing the father. It's Timothy Chalamet uh, playing the kid, and Amazon Studios is backing it. And all of the footage that they've shown from it just looks like trailer looks fantastic. Yeah, it looks like two incredible actors just diving into rich, um, potentially devastating material. And again, and when we get to Robin Williams, you'll see that that me being the parent on the show uh, dictates my choices. But Beautiful Boy, I know is going to devastate me. And I just, I want to go into the theater and sit there and just be wrecked. I just want to be wrecked. I want to I crawl out of that theater on my hands and knees. And uh, I'm That's how I feel coming to the podcast every week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin, how about yourself? You have one? Yeah, I mean, like, anytime we have the opportunity to watch a 70mm IMAX uh, film, um, that's going to be up there as my most anticipated. Um, I mean, for many reasons, not only just the 70mm IMAX aspect of First Man, but uh, Damien Chazelle, I mean, following up La La Land and Whiplash and uh, Ryan Gosling, uh, you know, the, the story, the footage, I, the footage I saw before Mission Impossible Fallout, yeah. uh, the moon landing aspect to it. Um, I mean, I just really admire when a filmmaker wants to make a movie that cannot be replicated in your home theater. Yeah, um, I, 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 I am very big on filmmakers getting people to a movie theater to see it the right way. And I, I, I always love when a film is released like this because I, I, I like to be able to talk about like on social media and things like that and send people to theaters that they can find these gigantic science museum type theaters to see things like this, specifically this movie, because um, of the cameras he shot on, which is very similar to Chris Nolan's style, uh, very exact, almost exact. The way he's gonna be cutting back and forth between the widescreen 35 and the and the IMAX uh, uh, film uh, shot. So, I mean, no question that that film to me, maybe next to it would be A Star Is Born, only because I think that the trailer is one of the best trailers I've seen in a long time. Um, and Bradley Cooper, the live singing aspect of it. I mean, I'm such a fan of live singing in movies. I just wish more people would do it. Um, which is why I didn't like Mamma Mia because it just feels like I'm watching a bad lip sync music video. Um, so I just find that, you know, uh, the other day I was watching Moulin Rouge. My, my wife put Moulin Rouge on and there was even live singing in that movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, I don't understand. Like Mamma Mia may have some moments of live singing, but I just, I just feel like a musical needs to be done in a certain way, in a raw way. And I think, um, Star is Born is the perfect example of like that. And it looks just gorgeous. And I love Lady Gaga and I'm, I'm fascinated by that but first man no question that's my number one uh for me it's definitely first man in the sense that like well, like damien chazelle yeah you know uh patron saint of uh of real blend but also you know we, we use the expression a lot you know i want to see this movie i want to see this movie i want to see this movie i w- am using the, the word see like literally like i just want to just just allow that film to envelop me and like heaven said seeing on the 70 millimeter imax i i it is the most it is the film that i most want to like quite literally 
just open my eyes and see. And yeah. I just want to see how he's going to do it. Um, it's a story that I'm I'm both familiar with and not familiar with. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of elements to that film where I go like, oh, I didn't know that about that. And um, there are very few moments, there are very few stories that I feel like fall under that category of like, yeah, I kind of know what's going to happen, but I don't know sort of the, you know, I know A and I know C, but I don't know what B is. And I feel like the, the film is going to be B. Um, so I look forward to that. Yeah, very much so. And I think I, he's going to put, I think he's going to put us in that, in that moment with Neil Armstrong. Yeah. I think we're actually going to feel as close to Neil Armstrong. As as we could, I remember uh, we were talking to the gravity. We were at the gravity junket, and the astronauts who were there. One of them was actually from Houston. Mike uh, Massimino, yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember someone specifically saying that the people who had gone to space felt like they were that. That's the closest a film maybe had gotten to what it felt like to be out there. And I think that Chazelle is so detail oriented and wants his movies to be as immersive as possible that he's going to do everything he can to make us feel like we were on that moon with Gosling. I think it's Here's what I need to know. Sick. How long is the moon sequence going to be? It, are we getting like 20 minutes of moon sequence? Like if we're How on the moon was... for 20 minutes, I will lose my mind. Forgive my ignorance. How long was Neil Armstrong on the moon? Oh, I have no idea. Was no it idea. Uh, Was it hours? Was it day? Uh, uh, forgive my um, ignorance. I have no idea. No Do idea. we have any idea how long he was up there? Because no. I, 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 I'm wondering. Alexa, how long was Neil Armstrong on the moon? <laughs> well, my question would be if it was a short amount of time. Playing meaning, Louis Armstrong. Meaning yeah, if he stepped, if Alexa. he stepped off the uh, in onto the moon. Right. If, I think let, he was let, on there for a while. I think let, he was on there. For, we're so I know it was. I know it wasn't. We review movies, minutes. people. I'm sorry. I I know it wasn't 20 minutes, but theoretically, if it had been, right? how cool would it be if it was in real time? Did it yes! Time. Yeah. That'd be awesome. So that, I don't know. If somebody, if we could figure that out, I would love to know how long it was on the moon for. And now, oh. now I'm talking about the actual walking aspect. Of yeah, it. yeah, not, yeah. Not, you yeah. Know, I would love to know how long he physically walked on the moon. Well, for everybody um, listening at home or if you're in the Facebook chat right now, uh, reach out. Let us know on Twitter. Well, not, let us know if you know how long your <laughs> Armstrong was on the moon. But also, what movies you're looking forward to as the summer is coming to a close we definitely want to know what everybody's excited about because that will sort of dictate what we talk about on the podcast coming forward. I also want to throw out Roma, um, mainly because the new trailer was pretty intriguing, but also just because of Quaron. Like Alfonso Quaron, right? Come yeah. on. Yeah. Come on. Another. We have, also, we have just a, as a, a kid that grew up on horror movies, Halloween. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That should be really good. Um, this week's game, hashtag Robin Blend. Not fun. <laughs> Not fun yeah. trying to choose. This one, like I was saying in uh, not commercial break, uh, before the show started filming, uh, this one was made harder by the fact that we've now switched to favorite. To because favorite. Robin Williams is so sentimental to me that right. it would have been easier to just kind of be, not cold, but like say this is the best because technically this, 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 and this, and this. Picking my favorite for Robin Williams because he is so close to my heart. Uh, it, sometimes it's easier to pick your favorite and sometimes it's easier to pick your best. And, uh, and this one was, was harder because we're picking favorites. Well, and Gabe was asking us before we started the show uh, about stories of times that we have interviewed Robin. Um, and so I, I'll go, let's go in order. And before we give our picks, we can each tell a story. Mine was for, um, so I get to go first. I, I understand that my, my pick is first. And um, I interviewed Robin Williams for License to Wed uh, mm-hmm. with John Krasinski and Mandy Moore. Wow. And... Um, what I found most interesting, like you go into that room to sit across from Ron Williams is the first and only time I got to interview him. You're intimidated because you just don't know what to expect out of him because he's so unpredictable and his brain is so fast. 
and you don't know what situation you're going to get put into. And he turned the tables on me and asked me questions because my first thing that I said to him was, well, I'm Catholic and he's playing a Catholic priest in this one. I, I, I started to say I'm Catholic and he goes, oh, you are? Wait, hold on. I have a lot of questions. And like didn't even let me finish and then immediately had like a million questions about like Catholic traditions and what do Catholics do for weddings and and would this have worked in the, in the movie? And like he just went – like I think we chewed up most of the time with me answering his questions that were all just like off the top of his head, off the cuff and – then like I got one other really good question. He was like, no, no, oh, get, get one of your questions. And then I got a question and yeah. they basically wrapped me. But it was perfect. That's what I would prefer is him taking charge and, and you know, leading us through and talking about things that are more interesting to him than me yeah. just sort of regurgitating stupid junk of questions that I probably had at that point because that was pretty early in the career. And uh, I didn't really know how to talk to celebrities yet at that point. So he was great. Um, my pick, God almighty, I was stuck between two. Um, and I went with the birdcage. Ah, oh. uh, and the birdcage is uh, so Madonna, other... <laughs> Madonna, Madonna. But, but here's what I love about him in the birdcage, and and the reason why I wrestled with whether this was my favorite or not was because everyone else around him is so great in the birdcage. Like Nathan Lane is amazing, yeah. and uh, Hank Azaria is a scene stealer, it's and Gene Hackman. And Diane Weist are uh, incredible, right? Like Hackman and Weist are uh, unbelievably great. But but then I, but then when I stopped and thought about it, like they're great because Williams lets them be great, right? Like that's a great point. Everything about Robin Williams in most of his movies is that he's the showstopper, he's the center of attention, and in Birdcage, he lets everybody else do it, and it it solidifies his performance as he's the straight man. Like he has to let everybody else be, especially Nathan Lane. He has to let Nathan Lane be the one who's over the top um, performing as this gay couple. But what I what I connect with with Birdcage and why I always go back to his performance and, and why it's so touching and beautiful. And it's and it's him, his relationship with Nathan Lane. But but that whole movie is a movie about how far you will go as a parent to secure your kids happiness. Like they are willing to go to extreme lengths to stage this dinner just so that they can pull off um, a, a, a happy dinner with the with the parents of the girl that that his son wants to marry. And Robin Williams is like, look, he says to his son, like, look, this is the life that I lead and you know it. But if you really want me to pretend to be something else, I'll pretend to be something else. And so as much as I wanted to go with Goodwill Hunting, because Goodwill Hunting is incredible and he's amazing in it, um, the sacrifice of a parent to say, I'm going to squash down my South Florida uh, gay nightclub lifestyle to pretend to be something else that you need me to be for this short amount of time and to do it so convincingly, that's his favorite. That's my favorite performance. By he has a line in the birdcage that to me is kind of almost borderline heartbreaking and, and in a way that only Robin Williams can, where he's talking to his son and, and you know he's getting everything ready. And for this big dinner, and his, his kid's saying, which I always thought the kid was a little, a little selfish brat in this movie. But he the is. Kid is, he is. And he's saying, oh, Dad, thanks so much. And he just goes, do me a favor. Don't talk to me for a while. Yeah. And it's just like this almost this borderline heartbreak of like, you understand why he's doing this. But the fact that he, like deep down, the fact that he, he feels this need that he has to not be who he is. Yeah. Pretend son, you're someone different. There's a little bit of a heartbreak in there. And, and that line always got me. And, and that's why, and that's one of my all-time favorite comedies. But why, that's why deep down, like it, the, the premise always kind of bothered me just because it's just like this, these two parents, Nathan Lane and Robin Williams, were 
so selfless. They just loved their kids so much. And I get that's that's yep. the core. But like the fact that like their son he would even feel the need to to ask them to do that, it just like it breaks my heart. Well, and whenever he, he has to say, Don't talk to me for a while, that just that always kills me. And also the lazy casting in the birdcage is to give Robin Williams and Nathan Lane part, right? Oh like, yeah. And if, Nathan if Lane anyone is just else brilliant. Right. If anyone else is setting it up, you'd read that script and you'd be like, oh, well, Robin Williams is going to play yeah. drag queen, of course. And he does. I discovered that film it. years later. How was it received when it came out? Uh, I, was, it, I was young when it, it was. When it it's came Mike out. Nichols. So everybody basically respects it. And the cast is really good, but it didn't it didn't blow up the way. Yeah. And I think because it I think it because it circumvented what everybody's expectations of what that story should be. Yeah. And inst- and they so they were like, how come this isn't zany? And that's why right. the clip is always that they always show is Robin Williams with the yeah, dancer. Yeah. You know, you do Madonna, yeah. you do, because that's yeah. like the one time that he goes off the handle and does his Robin yeah. Williams thing, which I think is hacky. Like I don't right. need his his shtick all the time. I prefer. Well, the, in fact, the, like the whole like point of him sort of doing that scene was him sort of breaking out, and be like, oh, "Look, I need you to do this. Like yes. I'm not doing it, but let me show you what I need you right. to do." Yeah, there's a clip that I showed Gabe when I was giving my pick of when he finally signs over. Uh, the palimony papers with Nathan Lane. And he basically says, he goes, look, 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 I, I own half of your life. You own half of my life. You know, we're, yeah. we're not going anywhere. He goes, yeah. I'm 50 years old and I have one place that I call home and it's because you are there. So whether yeah. I tell you to stay or you tell me to stay, what does it matter? Like we're, this is our family. Oh God, I'm getting choked up just talking about it. It's an incredible <laughs> movie and an amazing performance by a genius performer. And Agreed. Jake, you get to go next. Uh, do I start with my story? Sure. Uh, to your point, my very first time I ever interviewed Robin Williams, I was a kid, and I didn't really still, I didn't really understand how to do the, the celebrity interview, and I, I worked too hard and almost prepared too much, if you, if you know what I'm talking about, and this yeah, is, yeah. I didn't let the conversation flow because I was too concerned about getting to each one of my questions, and I interviewed Robin Williams for a film he did with John Travolta called uh, Old Dogs, I believe, oh. and uh, I mean, it wasn't the best film, but it was a Robin <laughs> Williams interview, and that's what mattered, and uh, and I just remember it sitting in the junket hallway and like hearing the sounds from the from inside the room from the other interviews and thinking like, oh my god, this is gonna be insane, this is gonna be hilarious, oh wow, I cannot wait to get in there, and I went in and I was so like concerned with getting in my questions that like I didn't let Robin Williams be Robin Williams, in that sense, uh. he was very kind and he was very pleasant, but like he didn't give me that Robin Williams spark. And I must have been visibly disappointed because oh. whenever I started to like shake his hand and get up and walk out, he goes, what? He goes, are you, are you okay? I was like, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. I just, I, I want, I, I wanted to, I wanted to make you like be fun. And I wanted, I wanted you to like be Robin Williams for me. And, and he goes, sit down. And I sat down and he <laughs> essentially proceeded. And like, of course, everyone in the room, if you're in the junket room, you know that like everyone starts going, well, no, no, his time's up. He goes, no, 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 no. And he proceeded to give me about a five minute, almost border like just improv stand up about oh everything. It was, oh, you're from Texas, right? And then proceeded to give me <laughs> hello, hello, my dog. <laughs> uh, proceeded to give me a a five minute like one on one stand up because he saw this like twenty year old kid disappointed that he didn't right. get. And so whenever I walked out, and not only had everyone in the in the hallway been wondering what why why did Jake Jake just get 10, 15 minutes with Robin Williams? They heard silence and then five minutes of craziness. So the like that's my yeah. favorite, I, and I interviewed him many times after that. But the fact that he saw something on my face, realized that he hadn't made me happy, and made a point to go out of his way to make me happy to me awesome. that is Robin Williams. That's so cool. That's great. Um, so my pick is Mrs. Doubtfire hmm. for my favorite, and I picked it because for me I think it's a perfect blend of everything he does best. I want originally thought about going. Uh, maybe with like Aladdin because I love the like the zany like the one off that 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 rat that rat a tat that he can do so well. 
I also thought about going um, uh, Goodwill Hunting because he just has such a great knack for just truly amazing dramatic work. And Robin and, and Mrs. Doubtfire to me was that little blend of both. You got that unbelievable humor, that rat a tat tat that only he could do, that only he could pull off that part. But then at the end of the day, the whole reason he is doing this, the whole reason he's willing to dress up like an older British woman is so he can spend time with his kids. And there's a sense of almost sadness to that movie. I mean, he is such, he's such a loving, caring father, but maybe he's not as responsible as he needs to be. And Sally Field kind of needs him to step up as a certain kind of man. And he's just not quite there. And he, so he loses this kids. And, and, and that's a movie that as I've gotten older and as I've changed, I've started viewing it differently as a kid. You just sort of, you see him as Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, isn't that funny? And it's hilarious. And as I get older, I see the, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word sadness because it's not a sad movie, but there is a little bit of like, he has to see his wife go go essentially go date James Bond, and he has to realize that you know his kids you know aren't going to be hanging around with him as much, and the, the the depths that he goes to to in order to just simply spend time with his family, yeah. it's just an unbelievably beautiful movie, and and uh, and I I love it, and it's a testament to who he is, and it's a testament to his work, and uh, and I I started with Mrs. Doubtfire after you assigned this last week, and I went in a lot of different directions to kind of test the waters and say, well, maybe this one or maybe that one. I even thought about Birdcage. I thought about Aladdin. I thought about Goodwill Hunting, Dead Boat Society. And I just, I kept going back to Mrs. Doubtfire. And so that's have to, that has to be my pick. Great pick. Kevin? Yeah, I mean, uh, Robin Williams, yeah, he was somebody that I, I have a lot of memories watching his movies and kind of growing up. And uh, I remember seeing Jack with my grandmother in New York City. I, I have very fond memories of watching his film specifically. Also, Aladdin's my favorite Disney film of all time. So I, I think that he, uh, you know, obviously brilliant. Uh, Interview-wise, I, I, I got to interview him twice. And um, first time I interviewed him, it was a red carpet for Night at the Museum 2 in D.C. And I remember him walking up. I think he had just had some type of open-heart surgery or something. Um, there was, like, he had just recovered from that. And, I, and, like, to this day, looking back on that interview now, like, when he, like I remember him looking at me and goes, he, saying, I'm, I'm just happy to be alive. I remember him saying that to my to my face, and like you know, at the wow. time, obviously, it, it doesn't hold as much weight. That weight of that line now, looking back at that interview, is pretty is pretty wild. Um, because Robin Williams is the only comedian I ever met, in my opinion, who was always on. Um, I, I always felt like uh, we meet, we interviewed a lot of comedians, and you know, we meet them, and they're very chill people. Like they're like they're very funny on screen, but they're but he was always on, uh, yeah. and he just. I remember him walking up, and uh, my pick is Mrs. Doubtfire, which which is why I'm kind of putting it into this context. He let me nerd out about that movie. He let me nerd about the uh, about the run by fruiting moment with you know Pierce Brosnan. He um, we had a great conversation, and then, and then he was he started like promoting this movie he was working on called World's Greatest Dad, the Bob uh, the the um, Bobcat, Bobcat. Was gold. yeah. yeah. Um, so then I remember getting him again for Happy Feet Two. Uh, I get not a not a great movie at all. Uh, and walking in, and all my life, I'd always had this weird thing where I always felt strange that I had crushes on animated characters, and I always, I always thought it was weird. I was like, is it, am I weird because I think the girl from Aladdin is attractive? Dude, Jasmine's or, a babe, right? Jasmine, Jasmine from Aladdin was like, was like my, I had a huge crush on Total Jasmine babe. from Aladdin. Yeah, so I remember walking in and sitting down with him and admitting that to Robin Williams's face because he was in Aladdin and. He went off like in the best way possible. And I asked him, I was like, I was like, can I ask you, do you have a, did you have an animated character crush? He goes, oh my God, Jessica Rabbit. And he like went in this, he like did this, like he did all of his like famous, like, 
he was like animated. He was doing like like the honk honk. It was like it was really it was really 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 cool. And it was just like a weird moment for me to have like a validation from someone like that that it's okay that as a kid I was like I was crushing on an animated character. You know what I mean? Because I always felt that it was weird. Um, uh, but I'm I was way more that was, of a little mermaid guy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, dude. I mean, there was <laughs> as a kid growing up, those are the movies you watch. So those are the people that you would see on screen, and you'd be attracted to them. And like, I remember like thinking it was weird that I liked Jasmine, and him telling me it was cool it was like such great validation. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire to me, as Jake was saying, it to me it's the it's the best combination of everything that he does well. Like just exactly what Jake just said. To me, it's a very it's a it's an extremely devastating movie. Um, in regards to what his character goes through, uh, and the way he cries, the way he holds it in, the what, and speaking to what you were saying, Sean, about why you like Birdcage so much is the dedication to doing what you can for your kids. Um, but everything about Mrs. Doubtfire is because of the way he shifts tone, mm-hmm. um, and and just the jump from him having fun. I remember the I always remember the opening with that House of Pain song playing as all the goats and the animals yep. are outside, as, like, Sally Field gets home. Um, and it's just, like, this devastating moment. As you rewatch it, you know what's coming, and you know she's right. about to take away his yeah. kids. And, like, and when you watch that moment in the beginning, not had, having not seen the film, you think, oh, this is great. This is kind of fun. This is a great moment for, you know, the dad's having a good time with his kids. But when you watch it again, it's, like, this heartbreaking thing, and you see how much fun he's having in the moment, knowing what's happening next. Right. Um, that being said, just... Everything about that performance is perfect. Every moment of that performance is perfect. Uh, and just the jump from comedy to drama, the devastation in his eyes. I mean, the guy, the guy had some of the most, some of the most talented, he was one of the most talented inter- internal actors I've ever seen. Um, his eyes told you so much. And a lot of Mrs. Doubtfire is under makeup, right? So even when he has the pie in his face, or what, what was it? Pie, was it? Yeah. So even, it, was, it was the pie, it was the whipped cream, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, even there, he came through that. You know what yeah. I mean? And also, like, yeah, like yeah. to the point where, like, Mrs. Right. Doubtfire herself almost felt like, like that Robin, like that wasn't Robin Williams. No, like, you almost no. have to like remind yourself. Yeah, he was gone. Like he was you know, gone he, in that role. And he it, did not that, get an. He did not get an Academy Award nomination for well, Mrs. Doubtfire. He deserved one. But to what Jake just said, which actually made me think of something interesting, um, the fact that he's acting within acting is interesting yeah. to me. Like it's almost like. He got to, he got to play double. He got to play double roles, obviously. But the fact that he got to act within his performance is—it's almost, yeah, amazing. To he think he about did that. win uh, a Golden Globe for uh, yes. best actor, yeah, but for Mrs. Doubtfire, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. I, and uh, it it truly at the end of that movie is so perfect. Um, the, it's great. All, you want to know why w- that's great? That movie because it has the guts to be like. We're not going to let the family get back together. They right. just figure a way to work it out, which is, I think is very I, realistic. All yeah. I want, though, in, in regards to what Sean was saying about the react, the actors acting around Williams in the birdcage, is that is when you finally get that acceptance face from Sally Fields mm. um, after everything they go through. Uh, when she kind of just accepts it, they both accept it. They both have an understanding. And that movie, every moment of that movie, dialogue-wise, shot-wise, there's not a wasted scene in that movie. Yeah. Uh, and he is so perfect in that role. I always found like the bus ride to be funny, with like when he would get on the bus, like and like the driver would like he would he would see like his leg with the hair. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> was, I, I just thought that every aspect of that was. Yeah. And like, oh my god, the scene when the um, 
Who's that person that comes to the, the apartment he's staying in to like check up on him to make sure the that lady? he's... Yeah, the yeah. lady who is God. verifying. And that's why going... he has to stuff his face into the pie because he doesn't have his... Fa- Remember his mask falls out the window yes. and a truck runs it over and leaves a, leaves a tire the, print across the The face. back and forth. So the, 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 those are the last two things I'll mention. The back and forth of those two scenes are why it's my favorite performance. That yeah. moment specifically is the jump back and forth between him jumping back and forth literally between the two characters. And then... The entire ending at dinner when he saves Pierce Brosnan's character <laughs> and he's having that meeting with that guy a couple seats over yeah. and he's going to the bathroom and just changing and doesn't he sit back down in front of the guy he's meeting with as he has makeup um, on his face. He's, yeah, he's out of costume but he has makeup <laughs> and the guy looks across him like, what kind of party is this? Does he have his teeth in too? Like it's still his teeth like fall. I don't remember. I'm trying to remember what happens with his teeth, but that whole <laughs> scene, like it, it's just so much tension, but so funny, but then so dramatic. I mean, man, that movie, it's just a, it's a, it's his best performance. I would think it's wow. his best and my favorite for sure. Before we get to uh, audience picks, we had Brian Rogers, who is watching the show and is in chat, says that the moon, the moonwalk lasted about two hours. Oh, if you can, if you can believe the internet, he says. And now that would be cool. I, I would take, I'll take a two hour moonwalk. Uh, two, if, if two additional hours on top of the training sequence. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Lanigan, who is an audience player, he also says Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, Chris Folk, who comments on our show often, says um, he actually analyzes the park bench scene from Goodwill Hunting in his English class. Oh, and that's wow. his pick, which I mean, that scene is. That's, yeah. Everybody goes to the it's not your fault, and and they should, right? It's an incredible scene. But like when he, you know, sits down with yeah, Will. That, and, but to me, the monologue the on, the, on the bench is, yeah. Oh, my God. And Goodwill Hunting, I mean, honestly. You couldn't I, tell me I what should've. the inside of the Sistine Chapel but, but <laughs> right. Mrs. Doubtfire gave you, gave you the dark and the light of, of absolutely, uh, Robin absolutely, Which is why and I loved it so much. Sabrina M. says Dead Poet Society. So, yeah. Uh, great picks and not easy. And then this week's pick, uh, your homework for, for next week is not going to be easier because we are going to play hashtag pit blend where we name our favorite Brad Pitt movies. Oh, favorite. Yes. Just favorite, not favorite. best. Your favorite Brad Pitt movies. Ooh. And if he's not eating in the role, you're wrong. So <laughs> it's, I just want to Well, the obvious that. answer is Deadpool yes. 2. I mean, clearly, that, that, that's spoilers. Clearly, Kevin, spoilers. What do people haven't seen? Oh, career. I just, I just got that. Oh, wait, have you guys seen the quote on the uh, the back of the Blu-ray? No. For what? Hold on. For Deadpool two. Deadpool two. You got, you got the Blu-ray already. I'll mention that. Did you get the Did you get the steel book? So I for next week, book. everybody can play along playing a hashtag Pit Blend. Let us know your pick via email at realblend at cinemablend.com. And Jake is it showing says, us. A work of real genius. It is epic. I can't believe I just said that. And then it is a tribute to Hugh Jackman, actor, some from someone like you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Do they have I a real quote on that? Thanks to uh, thanks to uh, to Fox for for their. Oh. Well, my, my steelbook comes tomorrow. Did you guys? Did you guys see the Avengers steelbook yet for Infinity War? I didn't like it. I, I purposefully didn't oh buy it because I didn't think it was like him with the glove. I wasn't crazy oh, about it's, it. Awesome! I love the steelbook for it. it. Did you um? Did you buy it? Yeah, yeah. I, know, I normally did. do buy the steelbook, but I purposefully didn't buy that one because I wasn't crazy about it. Mm. Oh, I loved it. Uh, Jake, where can listeners find you on social media? Uh, watching one wonderful film called Kill Bill. <laughs> Kevin, where can they find you? <laughs> um, 
you can find with me. <laughs> yeah, with Jake. I'll be I'm with Jake. Yeah, on yeah. This one. <laughs> well, I am at. I guess I will concede that I was incorrect. Dot com. Uh, drop us a review on iTunes. Oh, go over to our iTunes page. Uh, leave us a rating and a, a star review and a review um, because that really helps us in terms of our status with uh, iTunes or Google or Spotify and all of that jazz. We will be back next week when I'm home from my top secret uh, work. Uh, trip that I still won't be able to tell you about and Jake will be back from The Nun and we will discuss searching and a lot of other fun things so thank you very much if you tuned in on the Facebook page and we appreciate you guys downloading us and we will talk to you guys next week Dunkirk Dunkirk